Well, Julie, Dave, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Thank you. Where, where are you guys both hailing from? Uh, Julie, I know you're in Florida, correct? Yes. Where, where in Florida? Me. I'm in Ocala. Okay, Ocala. And Dave? Uh, about an hour north in Jacksonville. Okay, right on. Jaguars fan? Um, yeah. More or less. <laughs> well, good. No, no, guys. Uh, again, for the listeners, um, you know, Julie has dedicated uh, her life to providing an invaluable service to uh, to veterans. And I know, Dave, you were the recipient of one of the dogs. And and I can speak from personal uh, experience that uh, you know my family got a Dutch Shepherd for me in 2016 as sort of a therapy dog, not trained. And clearly he's not trained. He's a, he's a force, you know, uh, basically a little, uh, velociraptor running around the house, but the thing has been vital to sort of my recovery. And, and what is it about dogs I, to you guys that, that make it such a vital therapy? I, I don't want to say therapy tool. It's a living being creature, but there is just a connection between the dog and the human that, uh, I just, it, it's hard to articulate. Yeah. I think for me, they, they don't judge. And um, so if you're having a bad day or you, know, you don't want to get out of your pajamas or whatever it is, they don't judge. They simply love you. And then two seconds later, will love you again. So there's that unconditional love and that companionship that you know, we know many of the veterans need. Just someone to listen and someone to be there. And you know, family members oftentimes get to the point where they're like, we've heard that, we've been through that, you need to get past that. And the dog never reaches that point. Julie, how did you, how did you get started in this? Um, back in 2009, I had volunteered for other organizations and wanted an organization where all of the dogs went to veterans for free. So we founded Patriot Service Dogs. Myself and another woman founded Patriot Service Dogs. And it was very small and we just assumed it would always be just this handful of dogs. And now we have 20 dogs and we've placed 60. So um, it's still not huge, but big enough for us. Yeah. We've all got to start somewhere. Um, everyone has an origin story. Uh, I've never seen anything start uh, large unless it's got massive, uh, massive funding. So, um, I mean, do you come from a military lineage, uh, you know, service members in the family? What, 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 what drove you towards helping veterans? Not the, the, um, not the generation that I'm from, but certainly my aunts and uncles were military of that generation, Vietnam and Korea and World War II and all of those things. And, and it wasn't that I, I wanted to give back to veterans, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. You know, to, I knew the, the love and support that a dog could provide and it seemed like making that match made sense. And and it was something I could do and something that interested me. So it sort of just became, it just, it was the right thing. So I'm, I'm gonna assume you came from sort of a, uh, did you come from a dog training background? Uh, no. What, no? No, 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 um, no, I didn't. And most of the people that volunteer for us, it's not like we're a group of dog trainers. Um, I think a lot of people see us as a group of dog trainers that got together to help veterans. And we truly are more a group of, you know, big hearted people who want to help veterans. And we do that by training dogs. You know, and I know Dave will agree with me here. Um, there are not many like you 
<laughs> that, uh, that, that, in the, yeah, that you, you didn't wear the uniform, but you said, Hey, I've got to do my part for yeah. after post global war, we're on terror post nine 11. You saw us coming back and you're like, yeah, hey, there's something I can do. And, and, you know, from all of us, from Dave and all of us, thank you that there are a handful of Americans like you that identify a worthy purpose to drive impact. And, and, and that is amazing. And, uh, you know, Dave, uh, yeah, there you go. Is this, this, uh, this is Cutter. That's Cutter. Okay. Beautiful. And Cutter's like, hey, time to go out. Look at him yeah, on the screen. He's like, hey, stop. Hurry it up, old man. Um, Dave, you, you were in the U.S. Army. You served uh, during the global war on terror. Is that correct? I served in Vietnam. Vietnam. Okay. Uh, still yes. a couple of us around. Yeah. I'm sorry. My card is wrong. Um, 1969. Okay. I'm looking at it now. Good. Thank, thank you for, for what you did. Uh, Vietnam was definitely uh, a different war than, uh, than, uh, than our conflict. Uh, I, I'm always cautious never to tell war stories around Vietnam vets because uh, uh, you guys actually had fought a, a uniformed, uh, army to include uh, insurgency. So you were part of the 101st and you were with uh, an elite outfit within the, the 101st, uh, a recon unit. Uh, right. Just give us, give if you could tell us a little about your Vietnam time. Uh, okay. In if order I, to if give I us context. On, just tell yeah, me. Okay? Absolutely. All right. Um, after I graduated from high school, I came from a strong military background. My grandfather, uncles, my father, they, everybody in the lineage has been Navy. And so I'd had enough of visiting the ships and being on base and all that stuff. And uh, I wanted to parachute. So uh, I signed up with the Army, uh, signed up specifically to be a paratrooper, specifically to be in the infantry. And it was a time in 1969 when nobody in their right mind wanted to do that. Uh, all Everybody around me, I won't say everybody, but the vast, vast majority of the guys I served with were draftees. Because the draft, he was, you know, the draft was real, real strong at that time. So I was kind of an outcast from the day I signed on. And uh, early on in, in basic training, my drill sergeant said, you know, don't let anybody know you're RA, which is regular army. You know, tell them you're drafted, same as you, as you are, you know, you're going to be seen as wacko. Anyway, um, I went through my basic training and then my jump school. And uh, I tried for, I tried out for special forces, didn't make it. Um, they were looking for a stronger academic than what I had behind me. Uh, so I uh, went to jungle school in Panama. And after that, uh, I got my orders for uh, Vietnam and uh, went with the 101st Airborne Division. And at the time, they were closing down the only recon unit or brigade they had. So uh, the 101st was starting their own. And I was lucky enough to be sliding the door under that. So uh, what the recon unit is, is a um, either a six or seven man team. We go out 10 to 12 days at a time. And our job is not to engage, but to gather information. We're, we're such a small team working out there alone that we can't afford to engage because we don't have the firepower, uh, even though, you know, it happened once in a while. Um, and just to skip forward through all that, on the night I was hit, we were uh, we were scheduled to be picked up the next day, so we um, we fired some marking rounds down the hilltop where the choppers could come in, pick us up. And the problem with that is the Duke, the, the Dukes, 
The Dinks know what's going on. They know you're Mark Nihil. Uh, they suspect you've been around there. You've been gathering the information. You've made contact a few times, but slid away. And on this particular night, we went up the hill uh, to make our perimeter. And then we came back down 200 yards, just in case we were being watched. And at about three o'clock in the morning, remember there's only seven of us, uh, I heard some movement and I woke up Hobbs, who was next to me. I said, Hobbs, something, something's out there. And it could be a monkey. It could be, you know, it could be anything. But it was steady. And it was a steady. It was a walk. And he said, man, frag it. So I picked up a frag and I threw it. It blew up. And when it blew up, I'd actually thrown over their heads. And they were like skylighted. And it was scary. I have no idea how many there were. But you can see these silhouettes just for that split second of, the, of that explosion. Then he set off his claymores, and they were already inside the claymore line. And uh, we just started shooting. And uh, for every red tracer went out, there was 10 or 15 green tracers coming in. And they um, next morning, they figured it was about, about a company size element. But, um, you know, we made it through the night. I got hit. Um, when, when I was hit, I thought my I thought my leg was gone because yeah. it, it, it's like getting hit in the leg with a baseball bat that's on fire because it feels hot at the same time. And I was afraid to touch my leg because I was afraid I wouldn't find it. It's just a fear, an unimaginable fear. It's it's black. You're in triple canopy jungle. There's no lights around, no nothing. All you hear is people screaming and yelling, and you want to keep shooting, and. Uh, you know, and at the same time, you know you're hit, but you don't know how bad. <sighs> I know. <laughs> and uh, I heard Hobbs, he, he scooted away. He scooted up the hill a little bit to, to the radio. And I heard him say, man, we got dinks down there. And as soon as they said that, they called in um, some Cobra support. I don't even know if they use Cobras anymore. Anyway, the gunships, they were there in about 15 minutes. And they, we had to put up a strobe light so they could see us in the middle of the jungle. I mean, if the pilot can see us, everybody in the whole world can see us. And we ended up being a cluster of, uh, of five men, because two of them were hurt really bad, of five men in a group of probably three yards around. And the Cobra came in just barely above our heads and started doing a slow circle with his miniguns. And it was the sweetest sound you ever heard. But I got second degree burns from the shell casings. Yeah. Landing on my neck, and I didn't even know it till the next day. Anyway, I, I was uh, medevaced out the next day with a, on a jungle penetrator. We couldn't get up to the hilltop. Uh, and now I live with survivor's guilt. I never seen any of those guys again. I lost contact with them right away because I was sent to a, a field hospital, then down to Cameron Bay. And the next thing I, I really remember was. Um, landing at Yokota Air Force Base in Japan and getting, you know, operations air and, and rehab and stuff like that. And I didn't realize it when I came home. I thought I was home. I mean, you know, things are back on the block. They were the way they were, but they weren't. I couldn't connect with my friends. Um, I was angry all the time. I was pissed off. I was taking street drugs. I was taking speed, stay awake. I was taking that over there sometimes. And I was in, in fights all the time, uh, relationships. I couldn't hold friends. And I felt like, I know this is a strange analogy. I felt like I was a piece of a jigsaw puzzle 
that had been removed and taken somewhere else and come back. And my shape was different. And I didn't fit in that jigsaw anymore. I didn't fit in with anybody anymore. But I didn't realize how much it was affecting me. Um, and then I, I kind of I dealt with it, I guess. I just put up my invisible walls, had no friends, and went on with my life. Until the Gulf War, 15 years later. And when the Gulf War started, I went to pieces. I mean, I, I can't explain it. I don't know why. It was a huge trigger to me. And I had never heard about PTSD. I didn't know what it was. And being, um, you know, sort of a gung-ho kind of guy that I was back then, I didn't want to admit to anybody I needed help. I didn't want to admit to anybody that I, I was weak and that I was scared and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I'm a warrior. I don't, I don't, you know, not, I'm not, a, I'm none of that. And it wasn't until I could admit to myself, I need to get some kind of help or I'm going to be putting the gun to my head because I just can't get along with anybody. My parents got divorced. They split up. They moved to Florida and, you know, the whole nine thing, whole nine yard things. And so they started me out on some group therapy. Then they suggested I join the VFW. That didn't work. The guys in the VFW, I feel, are just there to tell somebody else's war stories and embellish their own stories and get drunk over it. And you can you can tell right away if you've been there, you know when they're bullshitting you. And I would ask a couple of trigger questions, know that they don't know what they're talking about, and I want nothing to do with them. I, you know, I don't want to talk to you because you're bullshitting, you're, you're lying to me. Well, on my second visit, I was shown the door. That's fine. I'd want to be around those guys anyway. The, uh, the group therapy didn't work. Same kind of people were in there. They were, they were feel sorry for me kind of people. And then they started some uh, individual therapy. And all that did was upset me because they just sit there and ask you trigger questions after trigger questions. You know, how do you feel about this? And how do you feel about what you did? And, you know, somebody that's never walked in my shoes is judging me. You know, a 25-year-old who has a master's degree in psychology is telling me how I should act. Uh, that didn't go over too well. And then I went down the whole drug thing. You know, well, here, take these drugs, and those aren't working, take these drugs. And this went on for probably three or four years. Now, I wasn't getting any better. I put bullet holes in the, in the ceiling of the house, you know, just out of anger and, and being upset and stuff. Um, and then one day I was, I was uh, talking to the doctor, and he says, uh, hang on a minute. Let me, let me get something. And uh, he went out of his office, and he came back. Um, and there was this lady with him, and she said, why don't you contact these people here? They might be able to help you. And I figured, oh, it's another friggin' doctor. Yeah, okay, give me the card. Looked at it. It said Patriot Service Dogs. And it was, it was Susan. Susan's name was on, on, on the card. And I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I procrastinated a week or two. I'd always had dogs growing up, but I never felt the kind of bond that I have now with them. And uh, I called Susan. She says, well, come over and, you know, stop by, talk to me. Let me t show you what we're doing, how it goes. Uh, come to a couple of the training classes, see the dogs. And I said, yeah, I, I want to I try it. And um, at that time, I had a chocolate lab who was very young. And she took me and him in just, you know, to get him through the program with, with the other trainers. And that worked great. But... Um, shortly after that, he died at five. 
he had uh, tumors inside of him, I'm sorry, that we didn't know about. And uh, of course, I was a train wreck. And then a uh, uh, couple weeks or months, I can't remember, went by. But Susan called me, said, I have someone over here I want you to meet. And I figured it was a person. So I got in my truck, went over to her house, and Gunner was there. And uh, he turned out to be my Jesus, I'll tell you. I, mean, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, I cried. I felt guilty about Riley. But uh, she said, here, take him for a few days, see how it works out. And he never left my side after that. Julie um, knows the story behind Gunner. For some reason, he didn't work out in his initial placement. And Susan was taking care of him in the interim. And it just so happened he was lost. I was lost. We were put together, and for eight years, it was a telepathy between him and I. I didn't have to talk to him. He knew my mood. He knew I, how I felt. He knew when I was upset. He would keep me from getting into confrontations because he would look at me and, and just wolf a little bit. Um, he slept with me. He ate with me. And aside from the guys I left in Vietnam, I never grieved anything worse than when he passed now, of course, I have Cutter, who's, uh, you know, trying to fill his paws, but they're pretty big paws to fill. But yeah. we're going to make, you know, he helps. Cutter helps me every day. He's just still, he's young, he's immature, but he's learning uh, my moods, my actions. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, Patriot Service Dogs has kept me alive, literally alive. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the things that Julie and Susan and all the people at Patriot Service Dogs, the women in the prison that train them, the, the puppy trainers, uh, you know, they all stand back and say, you know, bless you, we're glad we can do it and all that. And Julie never likes to stand in the limelight, never likes to take any credit for what she does. But uh, they have saved, they have literally saved my life. And I, I'm a testament to that. That's, that's it in a nutshell, man. That's, but all I can tell you is they're saviors. But you, the, the hard part is for the veteran to reach out. I, I talk to so many veterans at the VA center, so I'd like to get a dog. I give them the number, and they never, you know, they never follow up. And some of them you never see again. So I don't know what but I do think that – can I jump in here? And, well, and I was going to ask, Julie, you, I, you, you hear that story. You hear that story. And Dave, the, the survivor's guilt, I can empathize with it. I, I had 10 combat rotations during the global war on terror. I've lost a lot of buddies, one three feet from me who, who jumped on a grenade. And there isn't a day that goes by that I don't feel the survivor's guilt. And I don't feel the guilt for that incident as, as the senior guy on that rooftop. I, yeah. I understand where you're coming from. And, and that survivor's guilt is one, a sign that you're, a, a, you're an amazing human being with a good heart that you don't take your time and your, your comrades, your brothers in arms lightly. But I am starting to realize that that survivor's guilt, I would much rather carry it than 99% of the Americans so that they never have to feel that. And in a way we are the fortunate few because of that. And your story, first off, I, your stories and the stories like that from Vietnam are the reason I joined the military, reading the books about Rakondo and Marine Recon 
and, and recon units in the 101st and SEALs and green, in the Green Berets, you, you inspired a generation to step up and serve their country when the time came. And so that's impact that I know you can't directly see. But that's because of men like you that laid the path for young men like me to pick up the torch and carry it forward. So thank you for sharing that. And vulnerability that I've come to learn as well is the most masculine trait there is. It's that there's an emotional intimacy amongst operators or, or soldiers that, that quite frankly, the American public will, will never understand. No. And Julie, you hear that pain. You see that pain. You, you actually said it. Veterans won't reach out because Dave, you'll probably remember this one. What was the common phrase? Suffer in silence. To reach out for help is viewed as as a sign of weakness. And that's the old culture that we're trying to, to combat. It's not. It's the sign of maturity, actually, to say, hey, I'm not right and I need help. When you hear stories like that and you hear Dave say that Julie and Patriot Service Dogs, quite frankly, saved my life. How does that feel? It's an amazing feeling um, to be one of the people that stepped up and changed how he was going to deal with things. And I think many people, um, mainly veterans, don't like the stigma attached to having a service dog. Because if Dave didn't have a service dog with him, he would walk through life and nobody would know his story. But when you put a service dog next to him, all of a sudden, there is something. There's a reason you have that service dog. And so it becomes very apparent that you're carrying something. And so um, it is an honor to help the different veterans that we help. And I had honestly never heard Dave's whole story. When we do our training week with the dogs, we really focus on training the veterans to learn the dogs because the stories are so triggering to each other that we don't want to set anybody off. So we really stick to, you know, we're, we're here to learn the commands that the dogs know, and that is it. You know, I knew a little bit about your story, but Dave, I, I know how hard it is to talk about your dogs and about your experience. And, you know, it's an honor to help you. I am, the world is a better place because we have Dave. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes people need to hear it so that they understand better. Um, well, uh, to be honest with you, the first few weeks I had uh, a service dog, I never looked up because I felt people were looking at my handicap. And that's one thing I can't stand is for somebody to think I'm handicapped. Uh, perhaps I am. And perhaps I'll never admit it. But I don't want people to feel that the dog is a crutch because he's not. The dog is my partner. The dog is, is my brother in arms. He's taken the place of those who can't be there with me. And, uh, you know, it speaks volumes of, of having the dog now. And now, now I'm proud to, work, to walk with a service dog. Well, good. My, yeah. problem, my problem is when people say thank you for your service, I feel like saying you have no frigging idea what monsters are in here, but you're welcome. So I drop it all and I just say, you know, I don't know what to say. I, I normally say you're welcome. How do you answer that? And they say, yeah. thank you for your service. They're saying, thank you for what you did. Well, if you knew what I did, if you knew some of what I did, you wouldn't be thanking me. You'd be, you know, whatever. Yeah. But they, have, don't, they don't know what, you know, it's just you're trying to say words. You're trying to say something that we connect. And I appreciate. Yeah. And I think that's what they're conveying. Dave was the first yeah. person to get a successor dog from us. So he had Gunner. And our goal is 
you know, we're committed to that veteran. So if they're still able to manage a dog after their first dog's passing, um, and Dave will always be Dave and Gunner to me. And now he has Cutter. And he was the first one that said, you know, my dog has died and I am still in need. So help me. And was very open to the process. And we knew it was going to be a tough transition. And he was very gracious with it. You know, there were a lot of tears on all of our sides. But, he, you know, he accepted that this was a new dog, a new relationship, and that he would have to work to make it work. Guys, as you're talking, one, I, I, I completely see now why Land, uh, Land Rover Defender uh, for the Service Award chose, chose Patriot Service Dog. It's, it's evident. And there are a lot of nonprofits out there that there's a lot that do great work. And there's others that have good intent, but just maybe the execution isn't well, uh, well done. But the fact that, you know, I, I don't want to call it repeatability. It's almost follow through that, you know, some programs you go through as a veteran and they're done with you because they got to move on to the next. And, and you, 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 real, you really feel that as a, uh, as a, as a, as a vet and it's disheartening. Uh, I don't take it personally, but you know, uh, Dave, to your point, when people thank you for your service, and I've heard this discussion amongst vets, um, I, you know what my reply is, man? Thank you for, for taking the time to say that. And they will never understand that in war you see the, the best, the very best and the very worst of man. Sometimes you, you end up on both sides of that equation, uh, depending mm -hmm. on the situation. And you have to engage in a certain level of evil. Uh, to combat evil, uh, as the phrase goes, in order to send, send someone to hell, you've got to go there yourself. And you have. And your whole generation in the Vietnam War, whether uh, they, they willingly answered the call or drafted, uh, you went. But again, I do find pride in the fact that, hey, we went. So again, 99% of America never has to see that. But you are right. And here's where, where, where the two sides start to meld together. They don't have to go see that, but we do have to tell the stories. We yeah. do have to tell people that there are realities, uh, the very harsh and evil realities outside of this first world country. And it's not pretty over there in, in some parts of, uh, of the world. Um, and additionally, we've got to tell the stories to keep the legacies and the memories of our fallen comrades alive. The second you stop telling their stories, that's when their stories die. In, in, in a strange way, I... If I hadn't gone, I would sit here every day and say, I wonder what it was like. I wonder, yeah. what did I miss? Um, I, it may sound a little strange, but, you know, what did I miss? And, and nowadays, it seems the wars are almost like video games. Uh, I, I was talking to a first sergeant a long time ago, and he says, you know, the Vietnam War was the last cowboy war. Because there weren't GPSs, there weren't computers, there weren't cell phones. You went out there and, you know, you did what you needed to do and didn't tell anybody about it. And, and sometimes you did things that you wouldn't normally do. No, you're, you're, you're 100% right. Um, technology definitely changed modern warfare compared to what you guys had with old map and compass. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, and you brought it something up. Regret is a much bigger burden than, uh, than survivor's guilt in my mind. Um, Julie, uh, you know, what, what, what motivated you or, or did somebody nominate you for the, uh, the Land Rover, uh, 
Defender Service Award in, in so 2022. The Defender Award is open for a certain amount of time, and we mm -hmm. actually found out about it with four days to spare. So the, the contest was closing four days after we realized that it even existed. And so we made a decision as an organization that we definitely weren't going to win if we didn't send in a video. So we got together. We are very, very small. And so we bought seven chairs from Staples, and we had a piece of chalk. And we went out on the driveway and sketched out the dimensions of the car because that's what the Land Rover wanted. And we showed with these chairs, we can fit this many people. And you take out the chairs and we can put this many dogs. And then we can put this many bags of food. And we showed literally how we would use it. And we're very kind of intimidated by other people who are hiring crews to do their video. And we literally still have the piece of chalk. You know, it was... It showed that Land Rover wasn't looking for grandiose. They were looking for organizations that need it and that could use it well. And so we're very proud that they chose us. It's a nice car. A nice that, vehicle. That, that right there, ma'am, mm -hmm. is called passion. And they probably saw it through the video. I, I, I'm so and, – and you said, it. hey, if we don't send a video, we can't win. It's, it's the old uh, Gretzky quote. Uh, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. So right. – I, you, you, I, I want all the, the people listening to this, if you know a great veteran nonprofit or a nonprofit that's serving first responders, warfighters, uh, police officers, let them know about the, these, these awards. These are important in that, you know, it doesn't hurt to submit a video, no matter how small or large you are. And we know you need the money to put it towards your uh, your programs, uh, Julie. I do want to high highlight that you've actually created an organization that serves really impact in two arenas. One with the veterans, and Dave is a, is a clear example of that. But you also, dear to your heart, wanted to help women who had fallen on hard times, and so you utilize, uh, I, I guess, female inmates is what I would say in a correctional yeah. facility to to teach them how to train the dogs. And also give them a sense of purpose. Where, where, where did that notion come from? That must have been a, a steep climb, a hill to climb to, to allow the, the state. Yeah. I, I never thought, I mean, I've been in prison 12 years now, so I never thought it would span that long. But Dave went in, part of our training is the veterans go in and meet the inmates who trained their dog. And he's been, so some of the things that prison's lacking, he said, what can I do? And he sends boxes of books that get added to our library that, you know, it, not only are the women very appreciative, but the thought that he's thinking about them makes them feel worthy. And we all want to feel worthy. I mean, they've obviously done something wrong. They're wearing blues. And so, but, you know, Dave thinks enough of them to show them kindness. And they showed him kindness when he came in. So it is a nice connection between communities that would never meet each other. And Dave was kind enough to share some of his story when we went, when we went into prison and trained. And you know, the inmates hold that and say, this is why we do this work. You know, every day we get up, rain or shine, and we train these dogs because there are people like Dave who need these dogs. So um, yes, we serve two different populations and, um, and both, it's amazing how many crossovers there are. You know, Dave has PTSD. Many of the inmates have PTSD. We have a lot of veterans with military sexual trauma. Our inmates have the same thing. So it's a nice kind of level group that help each other. Dave, did you find a commonality? I mean, people who have fallen on hardship 
hardship in a different manner through a different mechanism? Did, did you find some, some commonality? I found some commonality in that they too have built their silent walls. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it, it's shame or guilt or um, the stigma of being in, in an institution, uh, they're not they're not like I was when I was 18 or they were when they were 18. They're, they're more reserved now. They're, you know, they're paying their debt. They're, they're going to pay their debt. And, and I sincerely hope that they, they can all come out and, and, and have productive lives because um, I just can't say enough about them for what they do. And even even after talking to them and, and uh, communicating with them a little bit, I don't think they realize the importance of uh, – of what they do, because saying you save lives is, is the same thing you say when you're teaching CPR. You know, CPR saves lives, and it just becomes a phrase. But this is so much more than a phrase. This is this is the difference between a man being able to conform and and uh, be a part of society, and not being in the national cemetery. And our inmates raised gunner and then raised cutter. So they were able to say, you know, they too mourned the loss of Gunner and were able to say, you know, Dave, please try this because we think we we sort of know what you need. And I think this will help. Julie, I, I'm telling you, you should your stories, your story should be on the Fox News uh, of the world of, of the Good Morning Americas of the world. We need positive stories where people are selflessly giving their time to helping others like Dave and these, uh, these inmates, man, I'm, I'm blown away. Um, knowing my relationship with my dog, Bane, uh, you know, first off, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys will empathize with this statement is, uh, I, I think I locked, I like dogs as a whole more than, uh, than I like human beings. Uh, and we, you know, also they are very good judges of character. Mm-hmm. Um, Bane has bit, not bad. He's bit a person before. And, uh, my wife basically said, good. Uh, nobody likes that guy anyways. Uh, so where can people find Patriot service dog? How can people best help you? Whether it's, it's the good old dollar or, Hey, we want to get involved in, in, in help fundraise or, or, or give our time to the organization. Julie, where can they find you? So we're on Instagram and Facebook and we have a website and that's where the veterans application is, is on that website. Um, we are always looking for more funding. Um, you know, the, the more funding we have, the more dogs we can place and not all the dogs make it. So right now we have 20 dogs. They won't all make it. You know, some don't want to be a service dog. And so we'll wash those out. Um, so funding is super important to us. Uh, we are very, very small. And um, and we can always use funding to move forward. It is hard to volunteer because everyone says, could we come to your office? Yeah. No, my office is a prison. So no, you can't come. You can't come there and just help out. So funding is really the best way. You know, sponsorships, all of our dogs are sponsored. Um, and, you know, if you go on social media and you get our newsletter, all of that helps us get our information out. So, you know, join us. I, I always think of it this way, that a lot of people say, like, thank you for what you did. And boy, I wish there was something more I could do. Do something. Help a group that has figured out how to do something. And it doesn't mean we're going to change. Nothing's going to change 
the trauma that Dave has gone through, that's not changeable. But we can let him know every day when he looks at Cutter, there are people out there that love you and care about you and want to help you and do everything we can to lessen that burden that you suffer. And even though people can't join us in prison, you can join us by supporting us, by watching us on social media. Um, you know, all of that helps. You know, you want to know that people are watching what you're doing. You, you bring up two great points. One, yeah, no, you can't remove that rucksack that Dave carries on his back, but you can make the, the load manageable. And, and, and again, for the listeners, I, I'm telling you that 2016 was a very hard time for me probably the bottom of the barrel. And that's when I got my dog and that, that thing changed, changed my life. Um, and then two, yes, it is so easy today to say, Hey, what can I do for you without any meaning behind that phrase whatsoever? And, you know, I, I, I fundraise for folds of honor quite frequently. And I actually back what I say. I give a portion of my book proceeds to them of my speeches because I believe in their cause and causes like yours. So Julie, we will, we will post the, uh, the links. We will post the website for the listeners. $1, even $1 helps. If you can give more, if you can give five, 10, 1500, those things help. Um, and for veterans also go to the website. I'm sure there's a wait list because mm -hmm. training dogs are not easy. It, what, yeah. what is it? What is the total training process? Usually, four to, to 12 months, where, where does it range? Our dogs go into prison at eight weeks old, but we don't place till they're two so that we can have okay. good x-rays and stuff. So ours is a two-year process. It's, it's a lengthy process. But to make sure the dog is properly trained yeah. and, 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 and ready for home. And they all their health certificates. So yes. once they've got that, then we're, we're good to find them a veteran that needs their help. Well, God bless you for doing that. Um, and, and I'm sure you guys will agree, God bless uh, Land Rover uh, Defender for holding these service awards. Uh, yeah. I'm excited to, to get even more applicants into the process this year for 2023 again in 2024. And with that, maybe the, the, the total contributions increase as well through, uh, through, through Land Rover. We'll post those as well. And for the listeners, if you know a great nonprofit veteran nonprofit, uh, please inform them about this, get them to submit a video. You just heard Julie say it does not have to be a production level video. They want to see the purpose. They want to see your passion. They want to see the impact that you hope to drive or are driving right now. Julie, I can't thank you enough for uh, picking up the, the torch for serving outside of, uh, of the military in a way that the military, quite frankly, doesn't have a competency and is not very good at doing. And I, I know Dave will agree there. And Dave, brother, thank you for telling me your story. Thank you for, for paving the way for my generation to serve it, it was you guys that, again, uh, inspired a lot of us uh, to to enlist and uh, and serve our country like you guys did. No matter uh, the fact that you came home to an ungrateful nation, yeah, we we had the nation behind us. Where you guys, it was it was a nation of turmoil, and I know that aided in in making things worse for a lot of the soldiers returning home. So for all of that generation, I apologize for them, and thank you for thank you for your service. Oh, you bet, and thank you for letting me tell my little blurb of a story there. Um, I think more people need to hear the truth about how things were and how it's affected us, uh, changed our lives, uh, usually for the worse. And then 
we come into something like uh, Patriot Service Dogs and we find out we can fit in. We can be, we, we can be an American again, be a part of the whole process. Yes, we can. Guys, I don't usually end my podcast this way, but let me just say, I love you both. And thank, thank you for, uh, you. for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much.